0: Good morning, everybody, and those of you online as well. Uh, following uh, up on that, it, uh, it's gonna sound like I'm falling asleep while I'm talking. <laughs> I thought if, we, if, if Pastor John, AKA Pastor Love, uh, did that for an entire sermon, we'd leave here with headaches. Uh, <laughs> what energy. And uh, so now for the second message, that was fantastic. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, so we are in the last week of our series, Uh, called Spirit. It's on the Holy Spirit. It's been a four-week series. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles in the seat rack in front of you, for those of you who are here. And uh, you can. it's on page 1151, 1151 in those Bibles. And while you're turning to the passage, I want to remind you that one of our core convictions at Five Oaks is that understanding the Bible doesn't have to be a mystery, neither does understanding our place in God's story. So when we gather, we study and we learn from the Bible and we listen to the Holy Spirit speak to us through His Word and we reflect on our part in God's story. So please join me in the prayer of illumination on the screens. Almighty God, by Your Holy Spirit, illumine the sacred page, we pray, that our minds may be open to receive Your Word, our hearts taught to love it, and our wills strengthened to obey it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we bring to you the earthquake uh, victims in Turkey and Syria. We pray for the leaders in those nations, that they will lead well, and that they will uh, make aid available that's coming from all over the world. I pray, Father, for a spirit of cooperation between all the organizations that are trying to help, and I pray for protection and provision for all those who are grieving and suffering because of what's happened. I pray that the response of your church around the world will bring honor and glory to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, before we uh, listen to the reading of the passage and follow along in our own Bibles, I want to call your attention to a couple of things so you'll get a little bit more out of this Sermon and the reading itself. I want you to look at chapter 12, verse one, where the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, "Now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now uh, if you're new to the Bible, you need to understand, this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a real church in real time that was having a lot of problems. And there was a couple of things that were going on there. One is, they sent him a letter, and they were asking him all kinds of questions. And in chapter 7, it says, now about the matters you wrote about. So, those are the questions that they asked or comments that they made. And every time in this letter, where it happens several times, it says, now about, it's referring to something that they wrote to him. But he also says in chapter 1 that there is a group of people from the church that came to him and ratted on the church. (laughs) It's not the word he uses, but told about what was happening in that church. And it's ugly. It's not good at all what was happening in that church. So everything that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians is either referring to what he knows is going on or the the letter that they wrote. And what you get here is everything here is very specifically written to what he knows is going on as as he answers their question, all right? So this is not a theology of he's going to be talking about spiritual gifts. It's not like he sat down and he said, I think today I'll write about spiritual gifts and see if I can get it published in some journal somewhere. Okay, he is writing to a very specific situation. It's important to understand that as you are looking at that. And so this is true for all, all the books of the Bible, actually. There is a situational, historical, cultural context, literary context. You always have to ask the contextual questions if you're going to understand well what's being written. So with that in mind, follow along as one of our five oakers reads our passage for today. First Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12.1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Verse 4-7 There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Verse 11-12 through 12, All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one, just as he determines, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. All right. So uh, British uh, historian, Bible scholar, N.T. Wright, <clears throat> excuse me, writing on this passage starts by reminiscing about what he says is one of the, his favorite experiences when he was in school, and it was playing in the school orchestra and he said he had had a couple of years of piano, and then he decided he wanted to play in the orchestra, and he chose as his instrument the trombone, and so he started lessons on the trombone, and eventually, when he got good enough to be able to play in the orchestra, he joined the orchestra, and he said it was so amazing, you know, go from playing by himself to playing with all these sounds, combining together to make this beautiful music when it it came together, of course. So, it didn't take long, he said, though, to discover that there is uh, something that's going on within orchestras. He says there's a pecking order in orchestras. Uh, For example, strings rule. And within strings, the violin rules. Um, But he said also within the wind section, there's a pecking order. Flutes and oboes feel superior to brass. And in the brass section, trumpets feel superior to trombones which is his instrument. And then he writes, he writes this, he says, the only form of animal life lower than a trombone, it seemed, it seemed to me then, was the tuba, the triangle, and the timpani. Anybody play tuba, triangle, or timpani in an orchestra? You're not admitting to it? Okay, nobody, all right. Uh, all this is normally meant for good fun, but it does create a strong hierarchy among musicians. Of course, there are sudden moments when everybody depends on instruments that are normally looked down on. Sooner or later, as you work your way through the repertoire, the instruments have to acknowledge that they, are all, that they all need each other if the music is to be complete. What a great introduction to this passage, where the Apostle Paul uses a, diff- uses a different analogy. We just touched on it here, but as you read the rest of the passage, you, he, he really develops a whole idea of a body working together. But an orchestra works well as well. So N.T. Wright says this about the situation that was happening in Corinth, what Paul knew was going on, and by chapter 14, he's still talking about spiritual gifts, and it becomes really clear what's going on there because he starts calling certain things out. But this is um, what N.T. Wright said, within the Christian orchestra in Corinth, so to speak, there were some who considered themselves superior to others, and there was a danger as a result that the whole symphony might be played out of balance and even out of tune. That's the situation that's happening there. And the problem in Corinth, the problems in Corinth, are remarkably similar to ours today, when it comes to uh, this subject or even the broader subject of spirituality. Uh, for three chapters, Paul deals with the problem in Corinth, the underlying problem. He does this throughout the whole letter, but one of the underlying problems in Corinth, um, specifically in this situation of spiritual gifts, is they treat the spiritual gifts in individualized, self-centered ways, as if the spiritual gift is about them, and primarily about them, or only about them. And he's trying to help them see and get the bigger picture and the bigger purpose of spiritual gifts. They're in danger of missing that bigger picture. They're in danger of missing the purpose of gifts. And so are we. We're in danger of making it about ourselves, not about God's greater kingdom purposes, which means his rule, his justice, his righteousness, ruling on earth as it does in heaven. We're in danger of missing our part in that mission. We're in danger of missing our part in that story, God's story that he is unfolding. We're in danger Of living in lesser stories. Now this is the subject that we cover every week. We're in danger of living in lesser stories. Today we're in danger of living in lesser stories when it comes to what God has given us to minister to others. So we're going to talk about two things today. We're going to begin with how spiritual gifts work to give some foundational stuff. We're going to go a little bit into how they are abused, even though our passage doesn't really get into the abuses so much, although that's, that's behind the scenes of what he is writing, is the abuses of the spiritual gifts. And let's start with how spiritual gifts work. This is probably the most important thing you're going to hear today. And it is that spiritual gifts are manifestations of the Spirit. Manifestations of the Spirit. Look at verse 7. Now to each one, speaking to them in the congregation to each person in the congregation the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good what's the manifestation of the spirit spiritual gifts that's the subject that he's covering he's referring to it as a manifestation of the spirit uh, manifestation means I, I looked up like seven different translations to see was there another word because that's a big word and a lot of people are going to go what exactly does that mean Every translation uses the word manifestation, uh, except for a paraphrase, uh, use something else. So um, I, I, I had to do a little bit more digging, but primarily that word means a revealing of sorts, okay? So it's a revealing of sorts, and that's how it's translated sometimes. The word, that same word in Greek is translated as revealing. So spiritual gifts reveal, that is, they manifest the activity of the spirit. That's not in your notes. Write it down if you're taking notes, okay? Spiritual gifts reveal the activity of the Spirit. Um, if you're a Christian, you have put your faith in Christ and received what Christ did for you on the cross. You possess God the Holy Spirit. Now That's not news to you if you've been around here for a while or if you've been part of this series because we've talked about that. You possess God the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He is in you. And one of the ways he reveals what he's up to in you, he's not just sitting there in you. He is at work. And one of the ways that he reveals what he's up to in you is by giving you gifts for serving him and his kingdom. So when you see a spiritual gift being used, it is a manifestation of the Spirit. So now look again at verse 7 through 11. Now to each one a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. um, By means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. Okay, just driving this point home. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit And he is the distributor of the gifts. Now, notice what Paul is doing here. Anyone who is attending the gathering in Corinth, at some time or another, and you can read about this in the book of Acts as well and see some more descriptive passages. Here's a letter, so you can't, you you have to read between the lines. But anybody who attends the meetings in Corinth, the gatherings in Corinth, are going to see people speaking in tongues. They're going to see healings happen. They're going to sometimes see miracles happen along the way. And it's going to be very easy to say, wow, the Holy Spirit is manifesting himself here among us. Um, and, And isn't that just incredible? What Paul is saying, yes, those are manifestations of the Spirit. But so is, this is what he's doing, so is a wise word of counsel that ministers to someone. So is bringing the scripture to bear on someone's life by reminding them of something God has said in his word or teaching them. That that is also a manifestation of the spirit. So is that person who may not say a whole lot, but what comes out shows a really strong faith in the midst of all kinds of turmoil. In their life. He says that's a manifestation of the Spirit, a demonstration of the Spirit. In Romans um, chapter 12, is one of the only other places he talks about spiritual gifts in all of his letters. And he includes in there, if you really want to drive this point home, when you see leadership in the the gathering of people. When you see financial giving, when you see showing mercy, when you see coming alongside someone and helping them, these are manifestations of the Spirit. He's saying spiritual gifts reveal the activity of the Spirit, and when you see people serving each other, you're seeing the Spirit in action. Is it always a like, particular gift that someone has? No, sometimes it is. Sometimes you look and you go, wow, person just has that gift. And it's not that person, it's the Holy Spirit who has distributed that gift as he determines. And that's what's happening. So to put it all together, all this serving each other together, it's, it's like playing, each person is playing their instrument and the sound that comes out is from the Spirit. All right. It's probably the most important thing I'll be applying that a little bit later, a little bit more. So how do spiritual gifts work? They are manifestations of the Holy Spirit who is in you and works through you. Second, they are for the common good. It says that. <laughs> it's in verse 7. It's for the common good. Does it bless you when you use a spiritual gift? Does it bless you when the Holy Spirit manifests himself through you in one of your gifts? Yes, it blesses you. And I could start there. I could start with you and say, you're going to be blessed if you allow the Holy Spirit to manifest himself through the gifts that he's given you. I could start there. But it, it kind of always borders on, on misleading, especially in our culture. Was it given to you just to bless you? No, it wasn't. It wasn't given to you just to bless you. Gifts are given to you for the primary purpose, the primary purpose of blessing others. Okay, so imagine with me, we're going to play a little thought experiment here, all right? I want you to imagine that the Holy Spirit comes to you and has a conversation with you and decides, I am going to give you a special gift. And your special gift, the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to give you a very special gift. And your special gift is going to be to play the violin, really, really well. Now, you're gonna to have to learn the instrument, you're gonna to have to practice the instrument, but the result is gonna be that you're gonna play really well. And I'm not doing it so that you'll play for yourself, I'm doing it so you will play in a major symphony orchestra so that you can impact a lot of people. A lot of people are gonna experience just peace listening to you play, sometimes they're gonna experience excitement to get up and do something with their life, It's going to impact them in deep, deep ways. And the Holy Spirit says, I'll be back later. Now, imagine that after that conversation with you, you start learning to play the violin. And it's really hard. And it's tedious. And you don't like it. And you decide forget this, <laughs> not going to do it. Or imagine you like the work, you like the discipline, you like the learning, you like seeing improvement, and you get really excited about that. This is good. But when you're done learning and you are really, really good, you decide, I don't want to play in an orchestra. It's too much pressure. I'm going I'm to play for myself. It's very soothing for me. I'm going to play for my friends and family. What kind of conversation, when the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to come back, and the Holy Spirit comes and talks to you, what kind of conversation is the Holy Spirit going to have with you at that point, when he very specifically told you, there is a reason I'm giving you this gift, and it's so that you will play in a symphony. Can this passage be any clearer? Look at verse 7 again. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for... The common good. (laughs) That means for the church in the context as you read it. It means for the church, for the common good. It's for the church, not just for the church. The church meaning the people, okay? Always remember that. It's not the building. It's not the organization. It's the people. It's for the church, but not just for the church, for the church on mission. For the church on mission. That's why he gives it. So write this down if you're taking notes, not in your outlines either. You have been given a gift for the common good of your church as it lives on mission. You have been given a gift for the common good of your church as it lives on mission. How do do spiritual gifts work? They are manifestations of the Holy Spirit who is in you. They reveal the activity of the Spirit among us. Second, they are given to you for the common good. Third, they are united in their diversity. Like an orchestra, many instruments playing, different notes even, but united in one purpose. The gifts that are listed here are like the instruments. Different gifts are introduced in other passages, like that Romans passage, a couple of other passages as well. There's no comprehensive list. There's no place in the epistles of Paul where Paul says, I've written several letters where I've talked about spiritual gifts. Three. Go back and read them. Compile a list of all the spiritual gifts that I give you. And I hear Peter also gave some gifts. So go read his as well. And when you have this, you have a comprehensive list. You're not going to find that passage. It's more dynamic than that. It's helpful to look at the list. They are pretty comprehensive. But there's, there, it's just a lot more dynamic than that. We are misunderstanding the nature of gifts when we narrow them down to a certain amount of gifts. All right. So spiritual gifts are manifestations of the Holy Spirit among us, given for the common good as we serve together on God's mission. And while they are diverse, they are united in a common purpose, like an orchestra is united. But as becomes obvious, if you were to keep, if we were to keep reading in this passage. Um, they are given uh, for, uh, for the good of others and to serve others, but they can be abused. They can be abused. So it's kind of hard to understand. It's, I'm seeing a spirit manifestation here, and it is abusive. <laughs> but Paul says, exactly, it can be. In the same way, uh, an analogy I thought of. is the same way as if um, if you are ordained by a church, which is a Holy Spirit action, to do a particular kind of work. So you have a calling, and you're working with a certain amount of authority given to you by God, can you abuse it? Yes. We get the idea that spiritual gifts are like, you know, like some kind of old-fashioned idea of demonic possession, like zombie-like, you know, I'm, in, I'm out of control. It doesn't work like that. Paul literally says, you can control it. Right? You can control it, and you ought to use it in a way that's positive, not a way that's negative. So I want to talk about the abuses because it, it gets to some of the things that we need to get to. So one of them is elevation. This is improper elevation of some gifts uh, over other gifts, As you read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, one way that it was being abused in uh, their church, you start realizing, oh boy, there were some people that were um, abusing the gifts. That's why Paul is, is very pointed and very direct in his correction in these chapters. And the specific gift that seems to be abused more than any other gift is the gift of tongues in that church. And what comes across is that some Uh, some of them in Corinth um, who were speakers in tongues were like prima donna violinists in an orchestra now when I wrote that I thought maybe I ought to scratch that we have violinists in our congregation they might get offended but I think they would go yeah I've met some of those prima donna violinists and if they haven't then they are probably the prima donna so (laughs) that's that's the reality. Um, conclude for yourself on that one. Uh, so some gifts are more impactful than others. It gets kind of weird in chapter 14. I was going to go into it. Don't have time. But Paul says, hey, no, I actually prefer some gifts to others. I would rather you be speaking some intelligible words than some unintelligible words that require interpretation. I, I'd really rather that. Uh, it's more impactful." Uh, but it, one isn't superior to the other. Certainly the person that is expressing that gift is not superior to another person. It's it's like in an orchestra. Violins, why are they the top of the pecking order? Because most symphonic music features violin. (laughs) And and without violins, the repertoire would become really, really small. But if it's all violins, all the time, Uh, after a certain while, you know, it'd be nice to have a little timpani in there and some other instruments as well uh, because there's a whole world of music to do. So it can be more impactful. It doesn't mean it's superior. Um, All right. So one way that we can abuse gifts is we elevate some gifts over others and elevate those people that practice those gifts over others. Another is the devaluation of gifts. And Paul gets into this later. Some people, you know, like, my gift is kind of like... It's, you know, I'm, and he uses the body illustration, I'm only a foot, and the other person's a mouth, and that kind of thing. He says, no, 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 no. You, that is a manifestation of the spirit. If the spirit wants to manifest himself in you and through you in a way that's not flashy, embrace it. It's the same Holy Spirit. It's still an amazing thing. It's still a, a miracle that the Holy Spirit is working that way through you. All right, so you've got elevation, you've got uh, devaluation. The third one is obsession. And this is this one where you want to spend a little bit of time. And, and I want to just step back for a moment on this one because this is the part of the sermon where I think some people might walk away going, he doesn't like spiritual gifts. <laughs> and I, to, please don't hear that. Um, I, just, I just think in a modern American society, we are so much like Corinth that it's very easy to go too far with some ideas. Good ideas that just go a little too far. So, um, gifts, when it comes to serving, are not primary. When it comes to serving your brothers and sisters in Christ, your spiritual gift is not the main thing. What I mean is, compared to other aspects of you, your spiritual gift is not the main thing. Gifts are not primary when it comes to serving, so give me a chance to explain. When you become a member of Five Oaks, one of the things we ask you is, we give you a list of spiritual gifts, the ones that are in Scripture, try to define them the best we can, even though Scripture doesn't really give definitions, so sometimes it's a little bit of a head-scratcher, but we try to define them the best way we can, and we say, which of these, look at them, which of these do you think are your spiritual gifts? because gifts are a thing and they are important when it comes to serving, but we, we ask that. But frankly, I doubt any of the members in Paul's churches, or very few of them, especially the ones with non-flashy gifts, knew what their top three gifts are. That's a modern invention, okay? A hundred years ago, people didn't talk about, what are your top three gifts? Today, churches talk about that all the time. What are your top three gifts? It's not a bad thing, okay? I'm just saying, in Paul's churches, they probably didn't know, <laughs> because it, it, just, it wasn't that prominent. Read all of Paul, and you just go, it really wasn't. He mostly talks about it. The only other time he talks about it is, it's like, he mostly talks about it when it's a problem. Uh, obviously, he taught about it. Obviously, they're practicing spiritual gifts. I, I'm not saying spiritual, I'm just saying they're not the primary thing. All right, so I think programs that help us understand our spiritual gifts and discover our gifts are important. We will continue to do them as a church same time i think if you sat down with the apostle paul he came into the future and you said hey this look at my spiritual gifts course that i'm doing and uh, here's where it's going and look at the survey that helped me discover my spiritual gift i I really think paul would go wow that's pretty cool i i like that i'm not sure it's what i was talking about exactly but i can see many connections so it's good way to go but if you spent the same amount of energy (laughs) I think this is what Paul would say. Have you spent the same amount of energy talking about sacrifice and hard work when it comes to serving God? Because it doesn't matter if you're, if you're practicing your spiritual gift. There are going to be times when practicing your spiritual gift is going to be sacrifice and it's going to be really hard work. And if you're not talking about that, a lot of people quit using their gifts, like the violinist, like if the Holy Spirit told you. And you go, this is too tedious. That happens. Um... Have you talked, Paul would say, have you talked about God's calling on your life? You know, a stirring in your heart for a ministry, a a group of people, a need that's out there. Have you talked about that? Um, Because if you listen to God's calling in that stirring, that may be the Holy Spirit speaking to you and directing you for ministry. Um, have you talked about, Paul would say, have you talked about how God can use not just your spiritual gifts, but all your experiences, good and bad in your life, for ministry. And he can use your talents that are not spiritual gifts. You had them before you were a Christian. Uh, skills that you've trained for, a formal education, all those kinds of things, that he can use that for his purposes and that he wants you to dedicate your experiences, talents, gifts, formal education, training, all to him when you serve in the church with, God's, with your brothers and sisters, when you go into your workplaces, he wants to use the whole package of your life. Have you talked about the fact that when you know someone's name, you talk to their children, and, and they, the children know you um, in the church, an adult. The children know this particular, you, particular adult, and know that they are seen by that adult and cared for, noticed, treated like a real person, (laughs) that that is ministry that's happening and the Spirit is manifesting Himself through you. may not be a gift, but the Spirit is manifesting Himself through you. And I think the Apostle Paul might say, if you obsess on spiritual gifts, you might wind up like one of my churches. Have you ever read one of my letters to Corinth? (laughs) This is why at Five Oaks we ask for more than what your spiritual gifts are. We ask a lot more than that. You know, what are your skills, passions, experiences, all that sort of thing when you become a member. Now, before we begin our response, in a few moments, I, I want to underscore a couple of things. Uh, and um, God the Holy Spirit will manifest Himself through you for the common good of the church and its mission. And I, I want to use just a sports analogy because I've been using music just for those of you who are more in the sports and not in the music. Just think about this for a second. Let's say God had had the same conversation with you and He said, You are gifted. I have gifted you to tackle people. <laughs> All right, you're going to tackle people really well. Um, it would not be a good thing if you practice that gift on the bench. <laughs> It'd be dangerous and uh, harmful to people and maybe to yourself. Um, so, and, and it wouldn't be the using of that gift. You'd have to get in the game. In the same way, use your spiritual, using your spiritual gift without engaging with God's people in service, it's not, it's not using your spiritual gifts. You gotta engage with people. So here's the thing. Get in the game, get in the game, serve. Now, this isn't gonna go in the direction that you might think. I wanna I I explain what this looks like. It starts right where you are, right now, where you're sitting, literally sitting right now. It, it starts right where you are, where you're sitting. Um, If you think that your first step is discover your spiritual gift and then go apply it, which is sometimes the impression that we give, I don't think we mean to, but we give that impression, you're wrong. You discover your spiritual gifts as you serve. You discover your spiritual gifts as you serve. How do you then discover where to serve? It begins right where you are. It begins right where you are, where you're sitting. Um, it extends into the commons, sometimes it extends into the parking lot and as you 're interacting with your brothers and sisters in christ if you 're in a home small group, it begins there. You serve the people in that group through prayer, encouraging words, bringing the scripture to bear to their lives um, and, and 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 just ministering to people. That's where it all begins. Um, It's happened already as we've gathered, as you sang and the people around you, well, it's not really the people around you that heard you because most of us don't sing loud enough for the people around. We, We were kind of afraid of that, but it's more that your voice entered into this our voices together and we could all hear people singing and by the way if you want to hear the congregation singing sit out here where these uh, speakers aren't you know kind of taking that away sit right out there and you will hear a beautiful symphony of voices of praise to God and it's beautiful now maybe your voice wasn't beautiful and you don't have the (laughs) gift okay but the spirit is manifesting himself through you as you enter into that. All right. So start where you are, wherever you are, gathered with God's people. Secondly, serve as a volunteer. Now, what I'm about to say right now, you may say, Henry, you sound like you're anti-volunteer. I'm not anti-volunteer. I really believe. I think there's a real danger of people like me Professional Christians that run churches to equate getting in a volunteer role with using your spiritual gift with service. (laughs) Like, that's the only way. And if you're not a volunteer, if you haven't gotten into a volunteer role, you're not doing God's work. All right? That is simply not true. Simply not true. I think if I asked all my pastor friends, Do you mean to say that? They would say, No. Well, you just said it (laughs) in a million different ways. And I have. I've said it in a million different ways. So I want you to understand, when I say volunteer, uh, it's not the only way. You cannot fulfill a volunteer role and do beautiful ministry with God's people. You can come in that door, and from that time you come in until the time you leave, you're doing ministry. You can come in and say, hey, how can I help? That's one way of doing it. And then you're maybe put into a role, but you're, you didn't come because you were, like, signed up for a role. Okay, so I just want to say this is not the only way. But for most of us, if we don't say, hey, I'm available, how can I help? You know, and enter into a role, you're going to come in, and you're going to go out, and you're going to go to things, and you're just going to expect it's all about you. <laughs> all right, so volunteer roles are ex- an extremely important tool, and we can't live as a church without it. Everybody just showed up and said... Uh, who can do the soundboard today? You know, some, some weeks you wouldn't be able to hear us. Um, uh, who's going to play the instruments today? Someday you'll, some days you'll wish. I wish they'd put people in that role that actually knew how to play, play the instrument. Because that person cannot play. You know, that kind of a thing. So, all right. So I'm not anti-volunteer. I'm very much volunteer. Um, but you just. The church has so many different opportunities, and you look for that serving, for that stirring in your heart, and you know what your skills, and you go, how can I help in this area where God is stirring my heart? As you serve right where you are as a volunteer, the spirit is gonna manifest himself, and one way will be that you and others, as you're serving, will notice giftings. You're gonna go, hmm. God works in me in a very particular way when I'm serving and I'm doing these particular things in serving. That's how you discover your spiritual gifts. Surveys are helpful. But surveys, if you've ever taken one, it is 100 I mean not even 99.9, 100% dependent on your experiences. It doesn't delve into and have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. The survey can't do that. The survey, if it's asking you questions about what you like to do, that's not what a spiritual gift is, what you like to do. Good surveys will cause you to go back and look at your experiences and go, oh, there may be a gifting there, okay? So um, as you're serving, that's how you discover that. Now, a little piece of unconventional advice, if you want to serve in any church, this church or any other church, check your spam email, because I don't know how many times people say, I want to serve on their connect card, and we email them, and we need to hear nothing. And I really think that a lot of the time it's in your spam. I just sent information about our Israel trip to somebody who used to go to church here, but lives farther away and was interested, and he said, hey, send it to me. I said, I already sent it to you. Just a second. Oh, it's in my spam. Uh, So, check your spam mail. Um, It might help you make those connections. Here's another thing. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, it doesn't seem like you guys need any help around here. It all runs so smoothly. I'm going to take my volunteer stuff to someplace else. I'm like, are you kidding me? But I don't say that. (laughs) I, I don't say that because... Maybe it's on us. Maybe we haven't made the needs clear. Um, we certainly don't want to come across as desperate. Nobody wants to volunteer for a ministry where we're desperate for people. You know, uh, so, you know, we're, we're kind of coy about it. But sometimes we're desperate for people because it takes a lot of people, you know. So, um, so it takes 50, 60 people to come alongside parents and disciple the next generation on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, Saturday night. 50 to 60 people. And on any given week, especially since COVID, people don't show up when they're sick. Um, it's going to be 10%, 15%. I don't know what the number is, but a lot of people are going to call in sick. But it takes 50 or 60 people. Uh, church our size, we should have a lot of people who know how to run that soundboard. We've got four that we know. <laughs> and they can't be there every week, but Harold is almost every week. Harold could use help. All right. Thank God for Harold. Harold said last night, he goes, that kind of threw me off. You know, <laughs> Point out that we need four people back here and we've got two. Okay. We need four people back there, but we've got two. All right. It, it went re- beautiful. It goes beautifully every week. Why? Because of Harold. <laughs> All right. That's why. Um, our connections ministry, 30 or more people every weekend. Uh, With small groups, we have this new here small group, we keep, people keep joining it. (laughs) We spin off a group. We fill it up immediately. We spin off, it takes a while to spin off a group. You know what that means? We need more new here small groups. We're trying to find more leaders to do new here small groups. So, now it's not the only way. A lot of you have gotten into groups that are existing. All of our groups are open. But when you've got 30 people in your group, it's hard for someone to feel like, eh, you know, I got, I kind of lost, this doesn't seem very small to me. Some people in 30 person small groups need to go, hey, why don't we go start a small group so we can make more room for people to experience what we've gotten to experience. So volunteering, very, very important. It's not the only way your spiritual gifts uh, can, be, can be used. This isn't just about serving What I'm talking about here, it's not just about the church's mission. It's about God's mission, God's mission. As the Spirit manifests itself, it's for discipling God's people and making more disciples. I want to read to you very quickly. I'm going to read really fast because I'm short on time. I want to read to you very quickly a, a pastor's testimony. He says, he starts this article by talking about the fact that He always hears about these people who had a mentor that followed them for 20 years and just spoken to their lives or a discipleship group that took them, you know, for three years intensive. He says, I never had any of that. And I always felt like I was deficient. And then all of a sudden I realized something. And this is what he realized. He said, I was discipled by my church, my regular old normal church. I showed up and heard sermons. I attended classes and groups and get togethers in third grade. I saw my Sunday school teacher Bud Whitlow write a check and give it to the church. I watched him write that check every Sunday for as long as he was my teacher. In sixth grade, grade, Mrs. Amanda Jordan told me to read my Bible for myself, not just to listen to others do it. Then someone else taught me how. Then someone else told me to look for the narrative thread of salvation history in both the Old and New Testaments. In eighth grade, a young dad from church took me to visit the sick people and showed me how to pray with them. Sometimes he'd tell me to jump in his truck and take me to visit the people who were new to the church. He'd always put on his ball cap to drive and take it off when he was about to go inside. A few times, people prayed to be Christians when we went to their home. When I was in high school freshman, My dad was my pastor. He took me and some men from my church to a pastor's conference in Jacksonville, Florida, and we listened to sermons for two days. We drank coffee between sessions. I felt like a grown man. (laughs) Another man, not much older than me, volunteered to lead our youth group at church and taught me how to ask my friends if they wanted to be a Christian. And sometimes I actually did ask them that question. I played football for coach Wesley Dix at Keystone Heights High School. He was also a deacon at our church and showed me how to live a godly life as a public figure in a small town. He probably thought I wasn't paying attention because by then I had started hiding my faith and acting like I was an unbeliever at school. When I landed in, South, in a South Carolina college and began avoiding her altogether, the church, the church still had my heart. I did my best to ignore Don Wilton's sermons, but I still attended his church in Spartansburg with my girlfriend. One of the leaders at my school, a student leader, Rick Brewer, encouraged, cajoled, and bribed me to take my connection to the church more seriously, but I transferred schools and left the state instead. I always assumed he saw through my Christian charade. There was no hiding my love for the world. My brother and I moved to Shawnee, Oklahoma together. Since I was new to town, a pastor I'd never met came to visit our apartment and invited us to church. I tried to make him feel stupid. He walked away angry with me, but I closed the door knowing the church still wanted me. Of course, the Baptist pastor probably thought it was a waste of that Sunday morning to knock on my door, but it was actually part of my discipleship. Eventually, I returned to the church and found her happy to take me in. A volunteer opened the door and smiled. A very kind older woman asked me to fill out a card and gave me a gift with the church logo on it. They put me in a group with people my age, guys, guys my age, encouraged me to give 10% of my paycheck. The young couples class discovered I could teach and gave me the opportunity. I had treated the church so badly, yet the church eagerly encouraged me to pursue leadership. Sometimes older, wiser men would cross my path and take an interest in me, but none of those guys possessed all the spiritual gifts. I learned they were just men. If I was hoping for a spiritual guru or all-in-one spiritual guide, father and pastor, they failed. But as parts of God's body, they did their job. These were good men, each deficient in some way. Individually, they were less than what I needed, but corporately, they were the body bringing me to maturity. God never gave me a spiritual father who would play Paul to my Timothy, but I'm not sure that's very common anyway. Instead, he gave me his very body. I was discipled by the church. Last night, i try not to, I, I just, when I started praying and just thanking God for the people that spoke into my life growing up in a church very similar to his, I mean, I just couldn't, I had to stop talking. I could just couldn't hold it together. So many of you have stories like this. So many of you are starting a story like that if you will stick with it, with God's people. It's amazing. Just absolutely amazing. And it's never ended. I'm looking right here. So many of you have impacted me. You do every week in your singing because I stand sometimes over there or over there and I hear you. But then individually, I know many of you. You've been in small groups with me and you've ministered to my kids as they were growing up in this church. So get in the game. Get in the game. Let's begin our response. By taking the bread of the communion. Remember what Jesus said. He said, Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The scripture tells us that whenever we eat the bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm just going to pray really quickly because the children's ministry is going to be killing me this week for going long. But maybe we'll get some more people (laughs) serving with them. Um, uh, But I'm going to be down here after the service. If you want to pray, talk, say hi, whatever, come on down. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the impact it's had on each one of our lives, for the way it continues to have an impact on our lives. I pray, Father, for anyone who's not engaged with a local church. That they will put up with our stupidities, our brokenness, the difficulties of being with people, but be in it for the long haul and receive what we each have for each other as a spirit. You manifest yourself through us. In Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen.